hello everybody and welcome to episode number 143 of the Rewatch Project with Hannah and Mike, where we will be covering the 10th episode of the sixth season of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., namely the episode Leap. How are you this evening? I'm very well, thank you very much. Ready to podcast? I'm ready. Awesome. Bring it on. It's funny, it feels like it's been a long time since we podcasted, but I mean, I mean we technically podcasted it the weekend when we did the interview, but, mm. it's weird, but it feels different when you do yeah. those, doesn't it? That was so fun. Um... Joel was just lovely. Yes. And such a nice guy to chat to. Yeah, very down to earth. Um, Which is odd considering I just. I wasn't expecting Enoch, obviously, because I'm not a psychopath. But it's always odd when you see somebody like, um, you know, like Leonard Nimoy or Brent Spiner, who we mentioned in the interview, mm. when you see them, characters who are used, who usually are quite poker faced, mm. playing. I want to being themselves and um, you know emoting and being normal is odd, but it's funny. But there's a couple of moments I had this. I've had this in nearly all the interviews I've ever done, where there was a couple of moments where he said something. It that, sounded a bit, evil. and I was like, "Oh, he's here!" <laughs> and it's like well, the other one as well was um, when I interviewed Sherilyn Fenn, because yeah. obviously you know I grew up adoring Audrey Horn in Twin Peaks. And I was interviewing her, and you know, she was lovely, she was nice, but she's, you know, a nearly 60 year old woman. But there's some angles, there were a couple of moments where she looks off to the side, and I was like, it's fucking Audrey Horn, that is. <laughs> like, it's, like, the character just came through. Yeah. And it was a little bit like that when we were talking to Joel, where there were a couple of moments where he tilts his head and his voice would go a little bit deeper. And yeah. I'd be like, oh, there he is, there's Enoch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, always, uh, it's always an interesting thing. But, yeah. uh, so, what are we talking about tonight, Anne? Okay, so synopsis for Leap says the team must trust each other in order to face impending doom and an enemy that's closer than they think it is directed by gary a brown and written by drew greenberg oh gosh good heavy hitter uh, so there's two more episodes after this one is that correct the season i think there's 12 no, isn't there's there? three. Oh, so there's 13 episodes yeah. okay yeah very exciting a couple of quick bits of housekeeping um First and foremost, we always appreciate feedback, which you can send us at rewatchprojectpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, or alternatively, or in addition, if you listen to us on YouTube, or even if you don't, you can leave us comments there. And if they feel really outy, then we will read them out. Um, also, we are on Instagram and Twitter, where we are at rewatchproj. That's rewatchproj. And uh, we also appreciate reviews on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I should probably go and check to see if we've had any recent additional ones of those so I can thank the people who did it. Um, and also please check out our friend shows, namely Chinstroker vs. Punter, Entertainment Landfill, um, who have started recording again. They've, they've, they've been putting episodes out as video game landfill now. Cool. They've been covering video games, so it's nice to have Jason and uh, yes, guest hosts on that, so that's good. But it's on the Entertainment Landfill feed, so mm. it's good to see um, Jason, uh, the Jaystrom, as he's known on Twitter, uh, getting back into action. Uh, film Bastards, um, his film, her movie, uh, Talk Without Rhythm podcast, and The Good, The Bad, and The Odd. So, Hannah, do we have any feedbacks or comments you would like to share? We do. Um, funniest comment of the week goes to um, someone called The Chosen Ones who uh, commented on our Terminator mm. YouTube uh, episode um, saying... Man, Hannah kept getting cut off. Really wanted to hear more of her opinions since she likes the movie so much. Oh, Michael. it must have been like some sort of problem with the microphone. That, uh, <laughs> um, 
Have you, you finished? Have <laughs> <laughs> you said everything? Anyway? <laughs> so to make sure. I I mean, come on. Like, I'm sure I wouldn't have added anything too, like, amazing to our chat. I don't know. I can't even remember what what our chat went like. Obviously, you butted in a few times, but, you know. Yeah, a few. It, it, it's funny as well. The thing we noticed when we covered movies is um, they're longer than yeah. episodes of TV shows. So whenever we covered a movie, or I think V was the same because each episode of that was about two hours. Yeah. Um, we were just, we were really tired by, by the time we got to it. it. Yeah. But, um, but no, I mean, I, I am an interrupter. I am aware of this. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where I'm a super geek and I get enthusiastic. And that's part of the reason I podcast. But the drawback of that is sometimes, yeah, I know. I probably Don't understand. worry. Don't worry. I do berate him um, afterwards. So, you know. I, I always think of there's, um, there's a great deleted scene in Pulp Fiction. And it's obviously autobiographical. Uh, Tarantino talking to himself and it's a scene between Uma Thurman and John Travolta and they're doing a quick because they're on that date that isn't a date you know at the beginning yeah. of the movie and they're doing a quick fire round of questions like she's like you know uh, are you an Elvis man or a Beatles man and all that kind of stuff and then she says when you're talking to somebody um, are you listen? Are you completely listening to what they're saying or are you thinking about what you're going to say next yeah. and he says I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next but I'm really trying Mm. and that's my kind of philosophy but I remember when I saw that scene I was like you know that's Tarantino talking about himself because yeah. he's a very I'm not comparing myself to Quentin Tarantino in any other sense but he's a very excitable passionate person mm. and but the downside of that is um, sometimes you know you run your mouth off uh, yeah. so yeah I concede that completely <laughs> um, but anyway shut the hell up Hannah um, uh, actually no don't shut the hell up tell us what else we've got uh, okay uh, right, so this is on our episode of Collision Course Part 2. Uh, Jack Dubbs says, interviewing Joel Stoffer. Oh, sorry, no, I won't read this one because this was just his questions. Yeah. Sorry, 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 sorry. Uh, okay, so this one is on our episode Collision Course Part 2. Silver surfaces. Oh, music to my ears. Uh, I really enjoyed um, Jacko. His character was one of the better things about this season, in my opinion. Although I wasn't a fan of Snowflake, I am sad to remember this as her final appearance on the show. Mm. I'm feeling this might be due to the season six reshuffle when season seven was greenlit, as Agent Dubs mentioned. Be interesting to see if she was originally going to be crazy enough to join Deke on his destiny. Um, a pleasure listening to you two and the fans, as always. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, I said in the last episode, I love those. Um, you know, road not travelled. Um, you know what could have been, mm. and uh, it's. Uh, yeah, I feel like there's, there's there's a book. Any network show, there's a book in that. Because they must have had to do so much kind of agile creativity. Oh, absolutely. Um, but uh, but I think I think a lot of this. We, I mean, we but of course we say this with hindsight. Mm. Um, on the same episode, Jack Dubbs says, "Collision Course Part Two is a sublime episode, filled to the brim with humanity and heart." My two favourite moments are one, the bit where Mac gives Fitz a massive bear hug. So cute the way Fitz dangles in Mac's arms. <laughs> And two, the whole shield socialising scene at the end 
The whole thing is glorious, from Mac's rousing speech to all of the cuteness that comes with Fitzsimmons' family. I love every second of it. And that's something that the show's done since the very beginning, is that they're not afraid to slow down and just have the characters kind of drinking in. Mm. And I think that the, the show separates the characters so much and minds so much drama from separating the characters yeah but i'm glad that it doesn't forget to let them kind of soak it soak it in a yeah bit, you know absolutely uh he goes on to say um the episode uh, fun fact the episode was originally called the baker hmm. after jaco's original occupation before he came became involved with sarge and originally collision course part one was just called collision course I wonder if they changed it from the Baker to Collision Course Part 2 so as not to draw attention to to spoil Jacko's ultimate sacrifice near the end of the episode. It could have been, but I don't know how calling it the Baker would spoil it, apart from telling the audience who's going to highlight it. It could be that, but my suspicion is just that they felt that the two episodes were so linked that it made sense to... Call it part one, it, part two. It did very much feel like one chapter. But at the same time, I did mention that I thought it was unusual from a naming convention for the show perspective to mm. do that. So there could be something there. I think that's entirely possible. But yeah. uh, no, that's a good point. Uh, right. So a couple of comments on our Joel Stofer interview. Uh, Silver Surfer says, mm. Sweet. Look at that for alliteration. Uh, he says, uh, Joel deserved an award for his performance in Season 7, Episode 9. Truly fantastic and always makes me cry. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it is, I mean, it's. we said during the interview, we weren't blowing smoke, but it is regarded as one of the best episodes of the show. Mm. And it's largely because of him. Yeah, 100%. Um, and I'm really glad that he didn't take offence when I asked him about that anyway. Because that was yeah. a risky question because I was thinking some people might, because I didn't want to make it sound like he was ripping him off, but the fact that he was immediately like, oh, hell yeah, you mm. know. No, he was he was very open to um, just chatting things through yeah. pretty normally. I mean, playing an emotionless outsider who he, he's kind of played dramatically. Finds his but, humanity. And, yeah, yeah, explores humanity and where – comedy is mined out of him not getting that it's mm. kind of it's inevitable to not I hadn't considered Brent Spiner but in some ways I think his performance I think because of his physical similarity and his voice the mm. kind of cadence of his voice that I knew my ones there but on, on paper he is actually probably closest to data yeah in, in that yeah, regard yeah uh, Jack Dubbs says, a big thank you to the Rewatch Project for making my morning by putting this together and a big thank you to the absolute legend that is Joel Stofer for one, graciously agreeing to be interviewed by Hannah and Mike and two, for answering my questions. I'm well chuffed. Enoch is the personification of that saying, be the change you want to see in the world. After millennia of merely observing and documenting humanity, he gets given the chance to save the people of the earth and he jumps in with both feet, giving his all. I love that. That's a great sci-fi character. And what yeah. I would say is, because um, I can't remember if it was Jack or Silver Surfer that actually suggested interviewing him in the first place. It was it was Jack Dunn. Uh, so thank you for that. That was mm. a really good call. 
Um, and also, if anybody's got any thoughts on other people who'd like to interview, and also, you know, I, I do think that there are some people who are involved in the show who listen. Mm-hmm. If there's anybody who can connect us with anybody who is involved in the show that they think might be interesting to have a conversation with, then do, you know, reach out to us about that. Yep. And and the thing to remember is, you know, we love all the people involved in the show. It's it's never going to be a gotcha interview or asking Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll throw your softballs. You yeah, know, it, it's going to be basically just a celebration. A celebration, yeah. Um, and that's that's all we really want to do with these interviews is celebrate and and reflect on the work of the people that we really admire. Uh, uh, um, so you know, and and I hope you guys are getting enough out of it. Like, you know, we don't we probably don't always ask, you know, the nitty gritty questions about oh why was this done and this and da da da, but you know we're there to just have a chat and sort of. Um, see how it goes organically and just sort of follow the way the conversation goes. And that was very much the case with Joel. Um, Like we always have, um, you know, lists of questions and ideas of what we're going to say and ask and that kind of thing. But sometimes you do go on that news. It did just sort of meander around and we sort of moved things around quite a bit with that one, didn't we? We want the conversation. The other thing is as well is I think one of the gifts that this podcast has given us is we're so lucky in the way that it's so great to be able to do a rewatch of one of your favourite shows and speak to the people who were involved in it whilst you're watching it. You know, I mean, we wouldn't be doing that if we were just rewatching the show and not doing a podcast. Yeah. You know, and that's such a nice thing to be able to do and to do with future shows that we cover, you know, knowing that we'll, we'll, we can create these opportunities to actually you know, supplement our own enjoyment of rewatching the show by having conversations with people who are involved in it. It's, yep. it's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, uh, okay, so is that, is that us done with the feedback? That's us done. Okay, so uh, we're going to take a, well, we're not going to take a short break. We're going to take a long break whilst we watch Leap, the 10th episode of Season 6 of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and then we'll come back and we will discuss it. So speak to you shortly. Bye-bye. CS3P Combat. Player one, choose your character. Tired of film and television podcasts where the hosts exist in a blissful state of agreement? Player two, choose your character. While you're in luck. Punter. Round one, fight. Allow me to introduce you to the Chinstroker vs. Punter podcast, featuring two film and television fans from Birmingham, England, who enjoy their media in very different ways. But anyway, that brings us to the end of the plot of Blue Velvet. The plot. I mean, the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I have ever encountered in any film. So join us as we catch up on what we've been watching from our own very different perspectives. Double KO. Round two. Fight. You can find us at csvsp.libson.com, also on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, all the places that podcasts can be found. It just really It's isn't. not visually striking. No. I'm just, just getting confirmation. It's just in That's the third time, though. I mean, am I, is this on? And we are back. We've just finished watching Leap, the 10th episode, season six of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Hannah, initial thoughts? I loved this episode. I thought it was so good. And what I was saying in the previous episode about having remembered 
some stuff that I didn't want to talk about and spoil. This is what I had remembered. When Jacko and uh, Davis went up the stairways thinking that they could get Izelle and then she disappears, I remembered that how there's the whole, like, she's in his body, but we don't know it. and it triggered the memory. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, it, it's, um, it's so cleverly done because it, it just has that fear of where is she, what's she going to do. Um, I like how she um, created that sense of fear uh, around her. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I just I loved it. I thought it was a great episode. What about you? Yeah, I really liked it as well. It was a really dense sort of bottle episode. You know, I mean, and I find that so many of the best episodes of science fiction television are bottle episodes. I mean, a bottle episode, basically, for the layperson, is an episode where they only use standing sets that pre-exist from the show. Mm. And the classic bottle episode is... Star Trek, Star Trek, and then they don't—they don't leave the Enterprise. You know, there's no location footage, no sets, and they're—they're they're often great um, necessities, the mother of invention episodes that really trade on how well the actors know their characters, mm. how invested the audiences are in the characters and the concepts and the universe of the show. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, the, the great. Um, Episode of Star Trek. We we rewatched this quite recently, the Next Generation episode, the Drumhead, the episode where there's a witch hunt going on slightly, and you know there's there um, the suspicion on the Enterprise and Starfleet's interviewing people and saying, "Oh, you're half Romulan," and all this. Mm. Picard gives the great rousing speech about how you know when as soon as we start to forsake civil liberties and all that, it's one of the great episodes of Star Trek. But it came from the fact that they had no money and they were like, "Well, we've got to do an episode um, on." that's entirely set on these two sets, but because the people who make the show are just so damn good, they actually excelled. Yeah. You know, and I think that this is one of those, uh, and I think it, it, it works really well. Um, but it makes sense that it, that it's using that single location, you know, like the thing, you know, mm. I mean, obviously we've got, God, how influential was the thing? Anytime we watch any genre TV show that they do, they do the thing eventually. Oh, in, of course. In yeah. And, um, this episode does that. But this episode actually I think is really clever for a number of reasons because there's all that stuff I just mentioned, but also it uses several different sci-fi conceits all at once. You've got the trust no one mm. stuff, but you've also got the body hopping stuff as well, which yeah. is like, you know, um, uh, used for, you know, action as well as, as drama. But also I think this does a really good job of elevating a villain who up until now basically looks like Nicki Minaj in a party wig, um, <laughs> into actually feeling genuinely threatening. Yeah. You know, because there is a feeling throughout the whole of this episode that she can do whatever she wants. Yeah. You know, oh, and very that, that they so. are, are on the back foot trying to, and obviously, you know, she, she kills Davis and, you know, mm. um, shoots another sea level character, <laughs> you know, through the handle, that kind of stuff. But, it's it, there is that feeling of she reminds me a little bit of do you remember Caleb the Nathan Fillion character yeah. in Buffy where he appears and you're just like oh shit you know like what are they going to do about this guy yeah you know it feels a little bit like that so I think that this episode really effectively um, legitimizes the villain 
Uh, I do think it's sci-fi hand waves massage stuff a little bit. Mm. Like, good luck if you can follow that, you know. Uh, there's an element of that. And I'm sure that if you were to break it down, it does. But I think basically what they're saying, and I think this might be a little bit of what, um, was it Jack Dubbs or Silver Surfer who was talking about the rewritten season? I, I, I get the feeling that there's a little bit of, at some point they had to change the history of Sarge. Yeah. And they, they wizards did it a little bit. Um, and I think that there's a little bit of lack of clarity about that whole, oh, there was... Actually, that wasn't a fear dimension. It was this. And the Gravitonium sent the body back. And he went in the body as a non-corporeal being. But the body remembered. And it's all like, okay, I'm whatever. Not important. But that does feel, at the very least, a little bit rushed. But I don't think it ultimately matters. And I think this episode on the whole works really effectively. And it tracks fine. It's not like, really? It yeah, doesn't yeah. feel like it's shoe what, what they're basically saying is it's kind of not important. Like the fact that they cover it off so quickly and I would say somewhat confusingly in a burst of exposition is basically the writer's way of saying this isn't actually that important. Is it a bit photon Photon torpedoes. Photon. <laughs> Photon torpedoes. <laughs> uh, yeah, a little bit. And, and you always get, I mean, it's, it's always the, um, the, you know, sci fi brings characters back from the dead all the time. Mm. And I think that the, there's a little bit of misdirection here because what they're saying is that the, the real headline of this episode is the idea that there's this race of non corporeals who, are now, who have been forced into the sort of the indignity of having to inhabit bodies who are now finding a way to do themselves. And I got real... Deep Space Nine? The prophets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right down to the fact that Coulson was even existing in like a light realm in his memories of yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it felt very prophets, parathes. It's um, very like when um, Odo meets, um, you know, the... The main prophet. Mm. Um, well, I was thinking more Cisco when he's in that light realm. Uh, and not the, whole, the prophet. And the sorry. whole, it's sort of, um, mm. it's it's non-linear, you know, that whole thing. Yeah. But, and and um, they're, not, got, they're non-corporeal. I got um, very Odo and what was... Um, the Great Link? Yeah. Like, I got that vibe off Izel when she's trying to get... Um, yeah. Getting to come back, Sarge to join with yeah. her. And, yeah, that's interesting. You know. Actually, that it's almost two elements of these, two separate elements mm. of these space time that are there. So uh, yeah, uh, that's an interesting. Well, should we get into the breakdown? Yeah, okay. let's go for it. So we open up with uh, Sarge's body. He's seemingly dead. We've got an alarm going off, and I was really impressed by. There's a shot of Fitz and Simmons, and I think Mac all running to go to the lab, mm. and it really gives you a sense of actually how big their sets are. Like they wrote, like, because a lot of the time, what you do on TV shows are you've actually got one bit of corridor and you have them walk down and then you cut and move to an angle and then you get them to walk back down the other way again mm. to create the illusion. Like Buffy, for example, apparently in the high school, they have one corridor mm. and you'll see them turn a corner and then they'll walk around the corner, but they've actually just reset and gotten to come. Same with the Enterprise, they've got like two bits of corridor and, and well, it's like just the Big redress. Bang Theory, they literally had one, uh, one's like 
one uh, set of stairs going up and one set of stairs going down. Yeah, 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 of, exactly. And they just yeah, and they redress them. Would just change the doors. Yeah, yeah, as, yeah, yeah. And um, but here you actually, and it's almost as though the director thought we should actually show this. So it's like I always remember on on Firefly. It was always really impressive that they basically built the interior of the ship as it is. Like it was on all the different levels, all the different rooms. And there's one shot in, I think it's the pilot, where the characters are talking. It's a classic West Wing walk and talk. And they you literally follow two characters chatting and they walk through the entire ship. And they said that it wasn't that they were trying to be flash and do a one-shotter. It was just that they were chuffed that they had this entire set and they didn't have to do the Star Trek cheeks. So they were like, let's just do a scene that mm. does that. And that felt like one of those, like you actually see them and they turn a corridor, go down another bit and go, and I was watching it and just thinking, but yeah, like I kept, I've been trained to expect cuts in yeah. scenes like that on TV shows. And it didn't. And I, I just wanted to make mention of that because it's one of those things I keep talking about how, uh, you know, in the later seasons, they do a lot more bottle episodes and they're a lot more set bound, but they're not scrimping. It's as though, well, if we are going to have to do more set band stuff, let's have really impressive sets. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. And they, they're they making the most of everything that they have. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and again, it's it's good that they, they this is the later seasons for this because I think that you need the whiz-bang and the location shooting and all of that mm-hmm. in the early seasons to kind of win your audience over. But, but, but to be honest, by the time you get to season five on a show, as long as the show hasn't completely jumped the shark, you're going to go with it because you're invested. Yeah. Um, so May admits that she did it and seems completely um, you know, unapologetic. Uh, she says it had to be done. The team were baffled and uh, uh, by why she would do it. And then increasingly baffled when they realised that Sarge still has a pulse and that he's coming back. I really like how quickly they kind of deduced that May wasn't herself, that there's something else going on. Mm-hmm. Like... Um, I like the fact that they don't fanny about thinking that she's just gone a bit mad. Well, they're smart people and they know each other. Yeah, and and they've been through enough to know that that's a very real possibility. Yeah. Like if this had been season one, you might have even had two or three episodes where they just assumed that May was a killer. Yeah, well, they wouldn't have known her enough to make that call as well. Yeah. it's also it's nice to see Fitzsimmons kind of in their natural environment again, mm. you know, because they've just been separated and off in space and doing all of that. It's a real sense of, uh, and I say this, it feels like I say this a lot, but it feels like a return to the classic Agents of Shield yeah. kind of format in some ways. Um, Yo-Yo's, it's Yo-Yo actually was, in, was initially suspicious. She's the yeah. one who's the quickest to kind of go, "Hang on, my bullshit with the detectors going on here." Yeah, and she talks about how May doesn't like guns, and he was called basically that it was just a punk move, and that's not how May would roll. You know, yeah, she wouldn't like. They were saying it's like shooting ducks in a barrel, and she, like she just would never do that. Yeah, and I like the fact that the audience are kind of catching up at the same speed as the characters. Like, so we get that scene where May doesn't remember what's going on. And we're kind of learning the mechanics of how this works along with the characters on yeah. the show. Yeah. Um, they, I love the fact that they don't, like, they expect you to pay attention, and this is something I've said right the way through, but they don't um, expect you to have a degree in uh, how to read television. Well, they make it you interesting know. enough that you want to pay attention. I mean, that's the thing. Is that I think yeah. a lot of the time when shows are confusing and people are like oh you know 
you're too dumb or you've got to pay attention. It's kind of like, yeah, but the show has to engage. Yeah. You know, it's like, I mean, I remember watching the, it was the second season of True Detective and it was a real slug and I remember you and I gave up at some point. Mm. And my feeling was, no, I'm not the problem here. Yeah. You know, the problem's the show. I quite often feel quite dumb if I can't keep up with things. <laughs> I'm, I'm Usually I'm like, no, it, it's not me, it's you. And it's one of those things where I'm sure that if I really concentrated on season two of True Detective, I'd have followed it. But fuck, meet me in the middle, mm. you know, show. Well, I like, I, I, I think the same about <clears throat> Babylon 5 that I do about S.H.I.E.L.D. in that... Um, you know, they expect you to remember stuff from previous seasons to get that continuity and yeah. they have callbacks and all that kind of thing. But um, it, 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 there's a logic to it and and it's not that they signpost the content, but they don't expect you to be looking under every rock well, in every scene to, to see what's going on. There's a clarity to the storytelling. And I always say, if you want me to remember stuff, Make it memorable, mm. you know, and I think that's the problem is that a lot of shows don't make things memorable, yeah. so you don't remember them. Yeah, and that's kind of how memory works. Um, is it? It, uh, it is, in my professional oh. opinion. I remember. Um, but uh, oh. <laughs> so, May um, talks about she left the party and then found herself in the cell. Uh, we see Deacon Fitz speak, and um, they're wondering about the connections to the monoliths. Mm. Uh, I, the, I, I love how much Deke wants Fitz's approval. Yeah, um, and you can see it on his face, like holy shit, we're having like a a grandfather grandson conversation. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is what I've got a note here that makes me realise how much we just indulge our children. I've got Piper's being sus. It's Among Us. <laughs> <laughs> there is there is an Among Us epi- element to this episode yeah, at times. Yeah, you know, so. they're on a ship and there's a saboteur. Come and... on now, are you crewmates? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, YouTube. Um, Sarge is having visions like Cisco in uh, Deep Space Nine. <laughs> um, <Jinko>. So um, <laughs> Jackal. <laughs> um, so Davis has lost time too. Um, we see um, Deke bumps into uh, Izel Dash Piper, who has the Shrike Crystal. Uh, a few actors get to do this, but Jeff Ward, who plays Deke, is the first one who gets to do it. Is I love how subtly different he is when he becomes Izel. Like he's just mm. more assertive and eye contacty. And yeah. just slightly more confident, like not sort of moustache twirlingly so, but you can see the difference. And I think it's, I think all of the actors, when they have those moments, Piper has one later on as well. Mm-hmm. I think that they all show really good judgment in how much or how little they dial up yeah. the performance. You also notice it a bit later on when Deke's being strangled, when he does that really creepy laugh. Yeah. Um, I just thought it was so well played. Yeah, yeah. I also noticed that there's a um, camera technique that they use a lot in this that started to become really popular around this time. You still see it. And you see it a lot on TV shows where there'll be a scene happening and then it'll cut to another scene and it'll cut back to the two of them. But the way it will do it is it will be circling all the people in the room talking and then it'll get to someone's back and it'll use that back as a dissolve to the other scene of the Mm. people that they're circling and then it will move back. And, it, and it, it's just a little trick that I started to notice around 2019, 2020. And now all shows do it. Mm. It's, like, it's one of those things that you kind of can't unsee once yeah. you get used to it. So this is where I've got a note about how, you know, it's, it's a bit like the thing. And write down the, the memory thing that they do, which I think is a really clever idea. 
that's like the blood test sequence in the thing, you know, where yeah. and Mac, you know, locking up the two powerful people. Mm. Um, you know, so the idea of a secret that can be confirmed by somebody else. Um, and, and, you know, jumping right ahead here, Daisy and Yo-Yo should have followed their fucking director's orders because exactly what he thought would happen happened. Yeah, yeah, he was completely correct. Um, like you always are. It's fucking annoying <laughs> when people don't listen. It really is, I feel, yeah. Mm. So um, she... Michael. She pops... Uh, Izel pops out of Fitz, who is, uh, who is the imposter. Uh, he's, he's sus. He's sus. Um, and I, I like the... I think this is my favourite sequence in the episode is how they use that conceit of her hopping around from character to character and mm. how she can use that to inflict threat and danger and to the characters and disorient them. But also the way that he's visually presented as well. Like there's mm. one bit where she's running up the steps and she's sort of hopping from person to person, you know, in her non-corporeal kind of way. Yeah. Um, she shoots Piper in hand, makes Davis walk off the ledge. Um, Sarge wakes up and Simmons tells him about Izel's, uh, you know, possession a thon um they tell Fitz about the fear dimension and again it's useful having this being the other fit so it gives them a in-universe reason to do the exposition because one of the worst bits of writing you see on tv shows is well as you well know blah 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 yeah. blah it's like well if i well know this why are you telling me because the audience needs to do it but because they've got alternate timelines and people have been off in space there's always somebody that they can justify explaining something to. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and that's a really useful mechanic for a writer. It's especially um, with Fitz having been a, a, like a different Fitz. Well, that's the other thing. They have to do that because yeah. the audience would be like, well, hang on, he wouldn't have known that. No. So it's yeah. not just affording them the luxury. It's, no, it's they kind have of, to bring him up to it, speed. It's enforcing them yeah. to, to, to do that. Yeah. Um, so what, what they realise, and this is the where we get into the Wizards to the territory a little bit here, and I think maybe... If this was a longer season and they had more time to explore it, it wouldn't feel quite as hand wavy. Because I'm not saying it doesn't scan. I'm just saying that it's very tangled, and I can't be asked to sit down um, with a chalkboard and work it out. Yeah. But basically, they retcon the monoliths a little bit mm. here, I think, and say that there's a creation monolith. And again, this is really similar to the orbs in Deep Space Nine. You have the orb of time and the orb of life. Yeah. And they basically do whatever the show kind of needs them to do. Yeah. Um. And um, but that's fine. That's part of the fabric of science fiction. Absolutely. You know? um, so they talk about how the creation monolith created another Coulson, and um, and that basically the um, I like Vert Deek says, "Oh, the other you thought that it was a fear dimension," and Fitz is like, "He wasn't the smart one." Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, the idea that there's still this uh, sense of competition, which yeah, is very psychotic. much so. Um, I kind of love that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they, she, uh, I like also the way that. Um, just to protect herself, um, Izel headbutts the wall as Mac to knock him out so he can be falling unconscious just as she exits him and yeah. not have to deal with, um, you know, this, like, just massive hard man, basically. Yeah. Um, she <laughs> I thought you were going to say massive hard on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, did he get around? Uh, I'm sure she'd be fine dealing with that. Um, <laughs> so she uh, is the uh, Lucy got it. Ah, you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she gets the gravitonium device. Um, Sarge confronts her, and this is where you get the uh, the Odo and the uh, the head founder um, scene. Me. 
Uh, yeah, you're not here to kill me, you're here to join me. She says that his memory of the family are false. Uh, and the idea of his memory of the family actually being false as memory of the team, again, that feels that to me, I was saying this with hindsight, a little bit like, no, at some point it was actually meant to be his family and they've had to do a little bit of a rewrite and gone, well, if you squint, we can say it's this. Yeah. And fine, I'll go with it. Um, so... Um, what she basically says is that it's a holdover from the body of the man he inhabited and that they created the body and sent it back and it's all timey-wimey. Um, and basically what she says is the shell that he's in has confused him. And it's almost as though what they've inadvertently done, the subtext I'm getting from here is that it's Coulson's soul. Yeah. You know, that the, the soul is, um, it's not something, it's almost biological. Yeah. It's not something that's just there in atoms mm. or, you know. and uh, But basically, um, she talks about yes, she'd rejoin her. Um, we see her uh, get into yo-yo. And again, she does a really good performance of suddenly stony-facing it a little bit when that happens. Mm-hmm. And basically, she's like, look, I could you know, kill any of you, the blink of an eye. I'm going to fly out of here. And Mac's like, okay, but I'm going to go with you. And that is, and, you know, May's right. That is the right call. It's like... I think the way Max thinking is he wants to protect Yo-Yo, but also it's like let's maintain our stake in this, yeah, in these happenings, yeah. you know, and um, uh, you know, and keep it, your enemies close. Yeah, and and May's right, you know, he it is the right move, and he is he's he's fit, like he's um eased into like director mode now like he's, he's trusting them yeah and he but he's he's in it it's a good fit now he knows um how far his team can be pushed he knows what he can expect of them yeah and he knows when to hold back and let them get on with it yeah they've got a uh they've got a lot of miles on the speed on mm. the uh on the odometer at this but point. like you know it, he, the early episodes of this season, he was struggling with that and struggling to fill Coulson's shoes, but yeah. he's kind of, he's found his own groove. With well, that. and his issue and his worries were that he was too close to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now I think he's realising that that's actually a strength. That's a strength, uh, And yeah. knowing how the team work and that kind of symbiotic, mm-hmm. um, you know, dynamic that they've got is mm-hmm. actually useful. Yeah. Um, so we get a little bit of exposition about how the realm of non-corporeal beings like Ghost Rider. Um, and it, it's funny, I always forget that, you know, Ghost Rider is is the ghost. It's not yeah. Robbie or, no. you know. Um, so Sarge is starting to look a little bit a little bit non-corporeal, we see, in the uh, yeah. in the post-credit scenes. Uh, again, like the Prophets in Deep Space Nine. So, uh, it's quite a bit fi- ashy. Yeah, a little bit ashy. Um, so any final thoughts, Hannah, before we wrap up? I I just thought it was such a solid episode and uh, really enjoyed it. Um, great performances all round yeah. and yeah, keen to continue. Yeah, same here. I feel like we've got a nice little uh, dash to the end. Next three mm-hmm. episodes, I think, will be an entertaining run. So uh, um, the next episode, funnily enough, is called "From the Ashes." Wow. Well, tell us about that episode, and then I'll finish up with uh, a little bit of uh, housekeeping. Okay. Uh, synopsis says: Out of answers and running out of time. The agents must face the ghosts of their past to move forward. Okay. It is directed by Jennifer Fang. Okay. And 
written by James and Charlotte Oliver. Excellent stuff. Looking forward to that. Uh, quick reminder that we appreciate feedback. Rewatch Project Podcast at gmail.com, Instagram and Twitter at Rewatch Proj. Check out our friend shows, comments on YouTube, and reviews on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. But for now, that is us. Thank you. Bye.